and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet podcast and feed. Folks, it's James Scratchy, and by that I mean Ross McLeod can't be here today. So we present to you the Stingy and Battery Show. They fight and fight and fight and fight and fight. Uh, what's the point? The point is, it's ESSR Central. Ross isn't here, or the studio isn't here, but I'm here. I'm always here. I'm Scott McLeod. And joined by someone who's always seemingly here. Uh, the only other people to show up today. Uh, Steve, we're talking to you. Hi, Dave. Hi, Scott. And you know what? This, I think this is the second time that we there's only put us two on an episode of Central immediately following the interview that's been held in the UK. That is true. We also did the like the preview show for that one as well. Ranger mm-hmm. Ross holiday at the time. So that was fair. Yeah. With the fallout from Clash at the Castle and now we've got uh, money in the bank to look over this time around. Yeah, I mean unlike sadly for you though, unlike Clash of the Castle, you didn't get to go to this one. Ah. Uh, don't start, like, prices were extortion at this time. Ah, well, nothing to fret about. We've got a, ven- a bigger, big show and a bigger venue that we're going to get to go to in a couple of months. Oh, yeah. or two. But, anyway, talking about the big paper unique, that's our big story for the week, is Money in the Bank live in London at the O2 Arena. And more importantly for us here in the UK, it was on at a decent fucking time, as was the SmackDown that preceded it. Oh, yeah. Like, even I could watch SmackDown at a normal time on BT Sport for a change. And to be honest, that's what just hyped me up for the the show to begin with. It was uh, exactly what you needed. Absolutely. I didn't waste my time with the, uh, the pre-show, but I was over at Ross's. Watching it, we got I got to his a decent enough time before it. Nice to settle in, get food, made a decent time, and uh, enjoy the show. And didn't even feel like that tired by the end of it, which is which makes a fucking change, as it were. I think it's fair to say, Dave, across the SmackDown and on this show, the the UK crowd, you know, coming out in their droves, showcasing the you know, the style of chants, you know, much like Puerto Rico and Canada before them. Showing even Saudi Arabia has been putting the US crowds to shame. So the crowd who go to Ford Field for SummerSlam have got a lot to live up to. Uh, yeah, they have massive, massive shoes to fill. Like, because if WWE's proved anything in the 2023 calendar year, it's that the best audience is always an international audience. Puerto Rico is a bit of a stretch because it's technically a, a United States territory. For say, but it is its own country, sort of. Uh, yeah, go to a different country, and um, you're guaranteed to get uh, an amazing crowd. And you know, as we've seen with British crowds at Clash at the Castle and NXT Takeover London, you know you're going to have a a huge selection of diehard fans. You know who are meant to be, you know, as loud and, well, as Michael Cole said on commentary at one point, he even called us obnoxious at one point. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the right word, given that, you know, with John Cena surprising everybody and essentially justifying our reactions in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, I mean, and WWE themselves have been just very justified because both the Smack, for SmackDown and for my event, they put up compilation videos of the best chants from mm-hmm. both shows, which is mostly stuff to do with people chatting along for LA night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And basically singing the Hey Bailey song across both nights. Uh, and Bailey basically looking around, you know, as a heel now, basically being annoyed at everybody for how dare you chant for me. So being a proper <laughs> heel Bailey, try to be one of these cool heels. I can appreciate that. Yeah. Because I remember when we reviewed Clash at the Castle, it was, um, we did that chant when we were, we were out there. And, you know, I have a immediate response when we reviewed and looked back on it. It's that, you know, her character is hating it, but I think deep down, just like, <laughs> just like, don't stop being, you know, UK fans, you know, just, at least they're, at least they're consistent with that chant as well. Yeah, it is funny given how much has changed with damage control since the last UK pay-per-view, given that they were that was their first major one uh, on that show, and then you come all this way, and it seems like they're falling apart, but we'll get to that on the, when we talk about the women's money in the bank, we're going to start with the men's money in the bank ladder match. Mm-hmm. Hell, okay, I mean, starting off with one of the money in the bank ladder match is always a good way to start off the money in the bank pay-per-view. A fun fact here, like, since they started doing a women's win in 2017, this is the first time that the men's win has gone on before the women's money in the bank. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I'm wondering if this is the case of maybe they knew that, well, people liked the person who won. It wasn't who everyone wanted to win, so maybe get the potential disappointment out of the way first. Or maybe they're just trying to put more of a spotlight on the women, have them on later on the show, because they did the men's win. Men's Royal Rumble on first, which I remember all at the time quite, you know, intrigued about when they when they made that decision. But hell hell of a match, a lot of spots. And for me it took a little while to get going and then they started putting the spots together. Some of them looking a bit more choreographed than others. But I think the one that caught everyone's attention, not for the right reasons, is uh, Logan Paul and Ricochet. Oh god. One one of the more wincing Winston just saying spots in money the bank history, I'll say. Yeah, it didn't go smoothly that spot because I think they were both. I think they were supposed to both land on the top rope, like feet first, and then Ricochet hits the Spanish fly. But I don't know if Logan or both of them lost lost their footing, and they basically had to make it up on the fly. It just looked really sloppy. But then again, that was quite a quite a tricky spot to pull off to begin with and Logan as good as he is in the ring you know he's he's still got a lot of inexperience under his belt and you know it would it would have taken some proper coordination to pull off a Spanish fly to the tables on the outside and I'm glad neither of them were seriously injured I think Logan got a cut in his shoulder which I think was shown backstage at the end of it but you know he wasn't afraid to take big spots uh, you know he he jumped off the apron, did a splash to Priest, who was on a bridged ladder. And I don't know if you noticed this on the live show, but somebody threw a bottle of wine uh, from the audience just as Logan finished the spot. It was KSI. Yeah, it, it was KSI that did that because he was uh, filming himself in the audience and was posted on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that on Twitter afterwards. It was KSI. I think me and Ross were watching some of the replays back and it does look like Ricochet shares a, quite a bit of the blame for this as well because he, like, he struggles to catch himself as well 
he's on the outside of the ropes, Logan's on the inside. He it seems like Ricochet basically goes, Fuck it, we need to do this now, he kinda of pulls Logan over, even mm-hmm. though Logan get the full rotation and you see on the like the angle that they show like it shows where it's like above them, you actually see I think part of Logan's head hit the table that didn't break, which yeah. could have been nasty like for a potential concussion at least uh, but I think Logan wouldn't have done wouldn't be in Derry if he didn't know the risk of injury like we saw the reports of him injuring his knee after the Roman Reigns match, but still finishing it and being able to come back in time to do the Royal Rumble. So he's clearly yeah. he's he's, al- he's almost a Cena esque person in like the way he's able to come back from these injuries. Yeah, he's done good spots before. You know, he's done frog splash to the announce table, one of which he was holding his uh, his phone and was recording himself. That was the one inside, but. It goes to show he's not afraid to take big risks, you know, those the, the high flying spots, the leaps over the top rope. He's capable of doing all that. That was just unfortunate because, as I said, it was quite a quite a tricky spot to pull off, and you know, I don't think anybody was to blame for that. It was it was just one uh, miss misstep, as it were, and those ropes are that thick anyway. So it's I, I wouldn't pick past them. I think it was just. Um, Quite a convoluted spot, and it was ambitious but rubbishly executed. Uh, I think they should have either went for a Spanish fly from just the ropes, or just have them fall to the line. Have them do the Matt Hardy Bubba Ray spot from like yeah, get pushed because that's what I thought they were going to do. Better, and it's the first time I think I've seen tables in a Money in the Bank match, as far as I'm aware. But wasn't the announce table. Yeah, I was gonna say outside of the announce table, yeah, they don't do because like I think the most notable announce table spot from what I can remember is like Kofi put McIntyre through it and the mm-hmm. first bank. Uh, other than that, yeah, yeah. Other than that, if you want to put someone through, usually it's another ladder that they go through, which they do every so often. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think it was a bit convoluted. But I think they're going to turn this into an angle because they're advertising a face to face with Ricochet and Logan Paul <laughs> next week mm-hmm. on Raw. So they started something with them at the Rumble in that one spot that everyone was talking about and then this. So clearly they're trying to, they're trying to build something out of this as Logan tried to challenge Ricochet for the flippiest man on, on WWE. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They're talking about Logan, we're talking about Priest, we're talking about LA Knight, but we've had and Ricochet to an extent, but everybody else just sort of felt like, felt like they didn't even need to be there. You know, they were just our bodies to fill the quota. A little bit because all the discussion was around the spots that these guys took, and Ellie and I obviously being the clear favourite with the crowd, etc. And you know, Butch got his hometown pop, which I suppose that was everything he got out of that. And then Priest obviously being the surprise winner. I don't know if it was as much a surprise. I think for a lot of people, it was a toss up, me included. It was a toss up. There were reports that both of them were considered favourites amongst. Uh, the backstage decision makers. Uh, Triple H did say, as much as he liked Logan Paul, he would it came out that he didn't really want to have Logan win the match because I think the whole point of having a new world title is having a champion who's around while the other one isn't around so much. So yeah. having a part-time Logan Paul wouldn't make as much sense. But I did feel bad for Santos Escobar. He told me people make up the numbers. They had Butch getting hometown pop. I learned some of the other guys getting their big Big reaction, like people sang along with Nakamura. Santos Escobar's music hits, fucking crickets. Like you, yeah. can't, even, you can't even have them come out with a Viva La Raza because even though people know it's not Eddie, the initial Viva La Raza gets a pop. You know, it's like Natalia with the opening chord of Bret Hart's theme song because people 
it tricks people into forgetting that Natalia's coming out. <laughs> yeah. That's bad for Escobar, definitely, because, I mean, he's no stranger to ladder matches, like, when he faced Jordan Devlin in that Cruiserweight title unification match back on the Black and Gold NXT. Like, he was, he outshone in that match, for sure, but in this case, he was just, uh, he just felt like another face in the crowd, which is a shame, really, because we've seen how well he can perform in, in ladder matches, but... If, we're talk, if I'm going on to Damien Priest for a second, you know, we talked about, you know, it was a bit of a toss-up between him, Ellie Knight, Logan Paul was thrown into the mix a bit. But I get why people were upset that Priest won it, because I think everybody put their eggs in the LA Knight basket, and they thought, if he's that popular, surely they're going to have to strap the rocket to his back. And we discussed this on Saturday Draft Live as well, which will... Uh, tally up the, the scoring from given the, the fallout definitely some highs and lows from that but the Priest decision was taken aback by it for about 5 minutes but then immediately afterwards and I thought to myself you know what I'm actually going to go with this because further investment in the judgment day as a whole and as what we saw from Raw etc it looks like the you know, teasing some dissension in the ranks between him and Balor. And it's a storyline to work with on Raw, whilst obviously the other money in the bank contract goes to SmackDown, because nobody, like, if somebody from the SmackDown side won the money in the bank match, can we realistically say, you know, they're going to they're have cash in on Roman while he's got such a hotly contested feud with the bloodline at the minute? Yeah, you can't have Roman's, like, title reign end via... Cash in, whether, in. Or not, right, whether or not they announce it ahead of the time or not. Uh, and I get people being annoyed about it. I was more annoyed because we did the sweep and I it was so 50-50 that I ended up going for LA night and then regretted it after what happened. But then mm-hmm. again, I think you didn't get as much of a negative in the arena, I don't think, uh, as it may have been with somebody else because I think everybody also... There were enough people in there who also kind of figured Priest as a contender as well, and it was good for him in that mm-hmm. the bank is being used with both members or both winners for the reason that it should to help, like you said, strap the rocket to somebody and you know pay a chance to somebody. Like both of them haven't held a major like world title. I mean, Priest was US champion, but he didn't really do much for it during that reign. Where yeah. Eel, while she had a great women's title reign in NXT. He's been mostly a tag player in, in WWE's main roster. So, and plus, with um, both players, they went for the one that will factor more into things with storyline wise because Priest's journey to potentially cashing in will definitely have ramifications for the Judgment Day. And obviously, mm-hmm. you being challenging Asuka and Bailey potentially being jealous about it means a lot storyline wise for damage control. So, I think it's a case of thinking more long term with both Money in the Bank winners, which you got to applaud WWE for doing. Yeah, and you know, not proving to fans uh, chanting or demands, etc. Knowing that they had a plan in motion, and that's I think that's pretty bold on WWE's part. But I remember watching the match. Early night, literally had to, you know, the like it had pushed in, and all you had to do was lift it up, and that was it. I thought that's it. He's got it. But then Priest comes out of nowhere, snatches it, and he's just like, no, nah. <laughs> and then he sweeps it. It was oh. Definitely a, a shocking way to start the night, but 
as, as it's sunk in, it's more like, okay, fair enough, let, let's roll with it. Well, let's, let's move to the other money that I just now with the Atomic Neo Sky one. The, uh, it seems like they were teasing like her versus Asuka already, because like, when they had Asuka on the Grayson Waller effect the week before she switched over to the new women's belt, they had the confrontation between her and Asuka in, in Japanese. It's a fresh matchup for both of them in WWE. And obviously, I think a lot of people were kind of like, I mean, they feel like there were more contenders in this one than there were the men's one because it could have been Becky, it could have been Bailey to start screwing over Eosky, it could have been Eo herself, and hell, it could have even been bold. And I know David Campbell would, this whole world would barely be making mm-hmm. it if they went bold and made Trish Stratus win it. So it felt like there were more contenders. But here, I think they had one of the more inventive win finishes in Money in the Bank history with the, the handcuff spot. Spot. I think I posted it in the chat. All I said was, given how fitting EO was being the winner of that match, I said in all caps in the chat, bloody genius. Like, because obviously, Becky still had the handcuffs attached to her from the spot with Trish and Zoe. And I could see what they were trying to do. I think the, the original plan was to cover to the ropes, but obviously she breaks out and then EO just takes advantage of, uh, of the scenario. And literally, because handcuffing to another person through the ladder means, you know, your arm's stuck and you can't climb. That's just... Well, it was so perfect. I think it probably... The only other time I've seen a creative finish like that was uh, Extreme Rules 2009. I think Jeff Hardy actually pulled Edge through the ladder. So that is... Um, so it's like his upper torso and his arms were hanging out like above the ladder while his legs were sort of dragged through, but he couldn't touch the floor. So he was basically trapped within the ladder. And then Jeff just climbed up the other side and grabbed the title. That's what that spot reminded me of. And it was it was just such a unique way to capitalize on like a spot that originally like a heelish spot earlier that could have happened and you know, just using it to your own advantage. It was such a such a clever finish. I mean, Jeff had a few of those spots. I mean, you remember uh, I think it was twenty twenty Clash of Champions where it was a three-way ladder match for the IC belt, and I think Sammy handcuffed him like his earlobe, like because of these weird earrings. Oh there. yes, the ladder. So look, there was no way for him to get out without doing serious damage to his ear. That linked how singing how singing his own ear. Pretty much. So, <laughs> I think this match actually had bigger spots in it as well. Like, for some reason or another, I think I actually enjoyed this match a lot more than I did the men's match, which I'm, I can't really put my finger on it, but there were two spots that stood out to me, aside from the, the finish with the handcuffs, and that was Eo doing the moonsault off the top of the ladder onto everybody, which was outstanding. But I think a really underrated spot as well was Zelina doing the, the code red to Zoe Stark. Yeah. Uh, because not only the bounce off the bridge ladder looked effective, but I don't know if you saw. I think her, Zoe's head was sort of it sort of fell through two of the rungs. When she bounced back up, it looked like she had like caught her head in one of the rungs, and it looked bloody painful. But um, yeah, it was it was almost like a repeat of the the Balor Andrade spot from 2019, and yeah. that just that bounce alone just made it look so painful. I mean, well, in, no, wait, sorry, it was 2018, I think that match was. No, I think it was the 2019 one. I'm pretty sure they were in the one that 
had Brock run out the end. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't remember if it was uh, the young blonde block, was it? Well, like, did that spot, the Kestons, because I thought they were going to do a similar spot in the men's one, like, because they had a bridge after, like, Stanhill, so we're going to do, like, the Phantom Driver on the ladder, but he ended up doing it, like, off the ladder, or there was something along those lines. But, mm. but for this one, like, when when she does it, it's kind of the code red flip that she does, and the like, of course, there's a shout out to our cousin who invented that move, which is a reference to former TNX division champion Amazing Red. Mm-hmm. So I thought he'd hear Michael Cole basically reference. He did say, say him by name, but I think if you know yeah. that little bit detail about Selena Vega, then you know who, who's a reference to. But I think he said it does have a fair few like spots. Because I don't think as many of the spots looked as like as clearly being set up as they did in the men's, but I think the mm-hmm. fact he was. The dissension between Bailey and EO, which played out when Bailey pushed EO off the ladder, which I thought was going to be the finish, and Bailey was going to be like, you know, first ever two time Money in the Bank winner. But he also had Zoe and Trish working together to take out mm-hmm. Becky. So, in the case of even if one of us doesn't win, we just don't want Becky to win because there was a point where Zoe Stark could have won it, but then she kind of looked at Trish and went, on you go, like, he was there to like help Trish win it. And it's like for the majority of it, I think Trish and Zoe didn't really care about the the briefcase or climbing the ladder. It was more to essentially put Becky down for good. And I suppose it was keeping in well with the, the story, etc. And Zoe wasn't going to break off from Trish at any point, I don't think. I think the closest she got was the aforementioned spot with Zelina at the top of the ladder. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you play to Trish, you know, for competing in a ladder match, you know, when she's she's spent like the last ten years as a Hall of Famer and you know she's in her late forties as well. It's impressive that she can still go and does she not do like a, a stratosphere spot like using the ladder as well? I think she does, yeah. Yeah, I mean I remember we talked a few weeks ago about the the comparison between Trish and Lita now that they're, you know, what, ten to fifteen years past their past their peak. It's Trish has definitely demonstrated that you know, forty-seven years old, she can still go, uh, albeit not to the the extent of a full-time performer. But when she wants to pull out big spots and work with the younger talent, she does an amazing job of it. Anyway, but like we said, it was Eo in the end who took down the briefcase. So definitely. Yeah. Yeah, to keep an eye on, on what happens on SmackDown over the next couple of weeks. I've got a lot of work. No, I was, I was just going to say, uh, she was the, the fans' favourite to win, I think, and I suppose one out of two ain't bad. Yeah, definitely, and you know, I think like, they both have ladder match experience too, whereas in like, NXT, they're pretty sure mm-hmm. it was like, like Eos at least won a big like, no one contenders match for the women's sale, which led to a series event which led to the triple threat at takeover in your house where she won the women's title in NXT and mm. Damien big win in, in NXT was winning the North American title in a ladder match so yeah. so she won the, the War Games advantage match one year which was a ladder match against Mia Yen yeah but I'm pretty sure because like Kaylee got involved because this is back when he was well, still yeah there. but once he went in a ladder match yeah, yeah, yeah I'm just trying to remember the one that it, that was the one, yeah. Kaylee, Kaylee really helped her out. Yeah. So there's a lot I say about the the main event. So I'll quickly talk about the undercard here. We got 
Gunther retaining over Matt Riddle. We had Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez def- re- becoming the new women's tag team champions after Shayna shockingly turns on Ronda. Cody, it's a, it's a genuine, that was a genuine shock, by the way. Yeah, Cody, Shayna turning on Ronda. Cody quite convincingly beats Dominic Mysterio or Dirty Dom as he's now being called, and Seth Rollins <laughs> beat, uh, Damian Priest being lurking around the outside uh, defeats Finn Balor uh, to root for his big first for for his first pay per view defense of the World Heavyweight Championship. There are those four matches I've talked about. I know that we're going to talk about one of them because of a post match angle, but mm-hmm. is there anything else that you want to talk about from that undercard? Um. All I can say is, I think the Shayna turn on Ronda definitely took everybody by surprise because nobody saw it coming. And you, know, you thought this would have just been a, a throwaway title retention for Rousey and Shayna, given that you know they, they literally just unified the titles not that long ago. But post Money in the Bank, it actually started to make a lot of sense because partly Rousey is planning to finish up with WWE post SummerSlam. And I think they're just trying to get a, a feud between the two of them. You know, Shayna gets back to being a dominant self and writes Ronda off completely. But, yeah, I was worried this was just going to be the piss break match for me after it was a pretty mental ladder match to kick things off. But I'm so glad I was still in my chair when that, when that turn happened. It was, I was take it, completely taken back by it. Yeah. I think the fact that it happened during the match rather than a post-match, yeah. I think you can always sense what's going to happen when the camera lingers on two people, especially the two people who lost like after a match. But the fact that the annoyed look at her face when Ronda tags herself in and then she attacks Ronda. Mm-hmm. And the challengers, despite being good guys, kind of looking kind of confused for a second and then be like, I oh, don't like them anyway. So they take mm-hmm. it back uh, and get the win. I think the one benefit to this is, you know, they recently did the unification match, which means I'm assuming these belts can be defended in NXT again. So, I assume so, yeah. Which I, is think it's with, I think that's always been the case with the women's tag team championships as well. They can be defended across any of the three brands. Yeah, but I think since they are just NXT exclusive versions of those belts, then mm. they need to do that. But now that they've unified, I think they'll go back to going to NXT, which is good for Liv and Raquel because there'd actually be some jeopardy if they got a good enough convincing team in NXT, whereas it doesn't matter who the fuck you put in front of them. If Ronda and Shayna went down to NXT, that was more than a foregone conclusion. You could bet your house on who was going to win that one. Well, yeah, definitely. There's going to be some people out there who ditched their house on Ronda and Shayna winning that match. Right. It's weird it's weird because like, it felt like they wanted to do this for a while, uh, but then Ronda got hurt before WrestleMania, so did the bare minimum on that women's showcase match. Then had to go away again until she was fully healed, come back, win the vacant tag titles, rush through the reunification to do this. So I feel like Ronda's injury put stop to some plans they wanted to do over a longer period with these women's belts to then lead up to her or leaving with Shayna. So if, if it looks like if she is winning, if she is leaving, sorry, then. It's a case of they're rushing through the plans that they did have for her, and you'd assume mm-hmm. that the match they'll have a match there so with Shayna winning. The runner goes out in her back, uh, you know, losing to her friend to get and use this momentum to maybe even challenge Rhea Ripley for the title. It's that, if I'm being honest, you know, it's uh, it could be the signal for a face run for Shayna, but not like 
you know, white meat baby face type run, you know, just proper dominant badass who's, you know, fighting her own battles, but people people respect, you know, her motivation, etc. You know, she they, you know, she'll be she'll be here with a, you know, an understandable, relatable goal. Because mm-hmm. I think her and even though Rhea's part of a heel group, like Rhea is still here as well. So I think it'd be a case of two tweeners going in there. And mm-hmm. yeah, really, everyone loves Mammy. It's a, it's a good story, especially if Triple H is no overseeing it because. If you remember, despite you know being the first ever NXT UK Women's Champion, the real beginning of the rise of Rhea Ripley was when she confronted then dominant, like multi-month, like reigning champion Nikita <laughs> Baszler. So, and then beating her, having the War Games match against each other, like with a different two different teams. So, basically, she they could come in and say like everything that you have, you owe to me, and I'm coming mm-hmm. to like taking that belt. Long-term storytelling, I like it. I like it because like I'm looking at. The few things I can see for SummerSlam coming out of Money in the Bank, one thing I can't see is what Rhea's going to do, because she once again convincingly beat uh, Natalia on Raw. So, Mercat Merc- and say points like, for me. Not even from Natalia, for God's sake. Like, I mean, yes, Natty's got six Guinness World Records this week, but it's. Everybody's talking about Mammy now. Uh, you could. You got that in the women's division. You probably have the Shayna Ronda match, like we said. Trish, Becky will probably have their blow off there with Becky getting a win this time. And then you got to think they're going to do like some sort of triple threat with Asuka, Bianca, and Charlotte. Mm-hmm. You can't, yeah, uh, I think that's a given. You can't not have the newly because like you've developed, you've you've you know come up with this new women's world belt. Fair enough, she didn't defend it on my back, but she was there standing in Dom's corner. So you got to eventually put this belt on on pay per view. I think the Cody Dom match felt like a bit of a throwaway. You know, no major angle came out of it. It was just a sort of like an exhibition match a little bit. But I think it was put on the card largely to gauge the um the fan reaction for it and just get uh I mean the people singing along word for word Kingdom, the song. I think it certainly is on par, if not better, than uh, Everyone's singing Metalingus at Flash at the Castle. But then again, it was a smaller arena and, you know, a lot more diehard fans in such an enclosed space. It was easier to go along with it. So, uh, yeah, actually, looking back on it, I think the O2 singing Kingdom was better than uh, Principality singing Metalingus. I mean, considering. It wasn't just about the the wall moment. It was they were singing it like word. He said word for word, and then that carried over when they went back to the states for raw. They were singing, they were singing again. So hopefully this continues. Unlike mm. like the thing was only a one night thing, and Edge was even like, I can't believe it's taking this long coming over to the UK to finally have a sing along. You know, exactly. but do you know what would be funnier? Over the second line of the first verse. If everybody didn't sing like every thought out of control, keeps if everybody just went something something Cody Rhodes, like that would have just been just I've, peak peak London crowd. I've seen people videos on Twitter, people filming in the crowd as Cody's coming out, and you can hear some people around them saying something something Cody Rhodes. <laughs> Clearly, they were being, right. drowned, they were being drowned out by the nerds who insist on singing it properly. Idiots. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to admit, I think 
bombed the most heelish reaction of the night. I think that actually went to Roman. Oh yeah, we'll come to Roman. But I think, as I say, Rhea. I don't. I think she's got big plans coming out of SummerSlam. I don't know who she'll fight at SummerSlam. I mean, they've been teasing her and Becky like crazy. So I think Becky is definitely possible. I wouldn't say no to Rhea versus versus Shayna. And you say about this this Dom match that there was no major angle. Well, I was on. I was looking at some stuff before this show, and also we had two other major appearances like Drew and John Cena. And according to Worked Wrestling, for what I've seen, there wasn't at one point a plan to have Brock come out after this match to attack Cody. Mm-hmm. But then they scrapped it and moved it to Raw because they felt like Brock's appearance would be diminished given that they already had two other big crowd-popping surprises with Cena and, mm-hmm. and Drew. Enjoy. So instead of overloading the show, they moved it to Raw because like, you had Cody interrupting Rollins despite the fact he's in the post uh, money back press conference, winning the world title would not count as finishing the story. Uh, and before you can even say it's in Brock's music hits, which gets an equal fucking pop, because there's mm-hmm. people in it. So, I think yeah. it like, We predicted that Brock was going to get in, once again get involved with Cody, whether it be in the match or on Raw. This is never leading towards the possibility that it could happen in the match with Dom getting an upset victory, but I don't think anybody was expecting to see the like Drew return at that point, let alone John Cena popping up randomly. Yeah, I, the Drew one was definitely a surprise. I think I'll remember that more than the actual Riddle match. Yeah, yeah also, definitely. I got a hell of a pop for Drew. So you haven't seen him since WrestleMania 39, where he, he d- ironically did lose to Good Thing that triple threat. And I got to admit, I was I didn't necessarily go like, oh fuck, Drew's here. Then I went like, oh no, 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 because like because <laughs> in order to break Conky's record, Gunther has to hold the belt past SummerSlam. Past and SummerSlam, yeah. It's to go get, get to like the sixth of September is the date where you'll cross the, the threshold. Uh, but I can't see for some reason. I just can't see a world where Drew comes back, has the match at SummerSlam, and loses because you guys think they promised him quite a bit. To get him to re-sign if the rumours about his feelings and his unhappiness about his contract were to be believed. Because, you know, they made sure to get him here because also I'm sure they didn't, if AEW got the chance, they would try and get him up in time for Wembley. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. If he's a free agent, come, come all in, AEW will probably do everything in their power to try and scoop him up for the big Wembley show. But Lindsay Riddle was the shortest match on the card at 7 minutes 45 seconds. It was even shorter than Cody Dunn. But it did feel like, you know, it was just another successful defence for Gunther. But the big programme now is he's going to be feuding with Drew going to SummerSlam. Well, we'll have to, have to wait and see what happens to that. But the longest match on the show by far, it went 32 minutes and 10 seconds. But honestly, I loved every single moment of it. I mm-hmm. honestly, honestly think Money in the Bank 2023 is a show of the year contender and I think in large part is due to this. You want to talk about storyline, this is a storyline driven match at its finest with the Usos coming out uh, with the fans singing along their theme song as well and mm-hmm. they took their time in this match Roman definitely got a lot more involved Like there was a point where Solo gets to, goes to get involved and Roman just goes, no! And just like tails them off and tags himself <laughs> in. 
you see Roman sitting on the apron getting annoyed at the UK fans all chatting stand up if you hate Roman <laughs> if you hate Roman stand up if you hate Roman stand up and uh, oh tribal wanker that was a, that was heard a few times as well yeah you see it you can hear him on the mic camera catches and saying England's full of bunch of idiots <laughs> <laughs> yeah you could tell the, the crowd was at its at its peak you know just throwing the uh, the hate chance towards Roman and almost felt like a uh, Zap Gibson esque a little bit, you know. If you hate Gibson shoes, like, uh, no, that's what they should have done. They should have done the shoe off if you hate Roman Chan. Ah, oh, I'm gutted. I think there were some people in here too with their shoe, shoes off, but I wouldn't want to sit next to one. But there were like all sorts of like little moments of this match that kept you the drama. You know, you had this the combination spike spear spot, and then that the kicks painful. The, the kick out, given like nobody kicks out the Samoan spike, let alone one with a spear. Yeah, the one um, D wasn't enough. You had the the recreation of the spot from uh, Clash of Champions 2020. This time, Jimmy kicks out that, and does the low the blow. Stack, the, the stack and smash as well. The stack and smash. This time, they both kick out. One of them uh-huh. gets caught in the guillotine as well, which Roman doesn't do as often, but you can tell he always pulls out when he's getting desperate. Even um, Jimmy, I think Jimmy sort of powered out of it. Yeah. Almost uh, reminiscent of the Hell in the Cell ending in 2020. Yeah, but the most like, important... It was all the key spots from, you know, the, the early stages of the bloodline. You know, Roman obviously winning the WrestleMania with the stack, the stacked pin, Jimmy breaking out of the guillotine, uh, Jay just being a full-on machine eating the spike spear still kicking out and as you mentioned you know the, the low blow kick out as well yeah, it was most, just like the bloodline's greatest hits the most important thing of all is the ending for the first time in three and a half years for the first time since december 15th 2019 to be exact when 1294 he lost, days they lost to king corbin so almost as this thing is it's been as long as it's been like almost. It's been so long. It's like longer than his universal title. That's how long it's been. Roman Reigns has been pinned clean, center of the ring by Jey Uso. Mm-hmm. Oh, just like it was ten years ago when Roman Reigns ate his first pinfall in WWE with the hands of Jey Uso in a six-man tag match. Like, but. I mean, and now we've got the announcement: Tribal Court, the trail of the tr- of Roman Reigns this Friday on SmackDown Live from Madison Square. Mm. And I got it. You got to believe this is the combination of the side that's going to be the announcement that it's Jey Uso versus Roman at SummerSlam for the title. And you know what? Mm-hmm. People were sad. Cody didn't win at Mania. Somehow, some way, I don't know who will hold it going into Mania, but Cody can win it at Mania. I don't care what anyone says. Put the belt on Jay. Give Jay a couple of months, maybe. Let Jay hold the belt. Let him be the head of the table. Because that will go back to 2020 as well, because there was a promo, one of the first proper pros on his own that Jay cut. That's the promo where he said, know what people say when they see me? They say, which one are you? Because he says to Roman, Roman declares himself the head of the table. He goes like, why can't it be me? Why can't I be the one who provides? Why can't I be the one that's the head of the table? 
And so basically mm. it's going into sort of like, why can't it be J? You know, what symmetry that would be. The first person that, that Roman beat on pay-per-view to attain the title and the last person he defends against. When I said this last week and I'll say it again. Yes, give me the match because the storyline is there. But I'm very reluctant to pull the trigger on J-Beam 1 because sure, it was, it was a great moment for the Usos to um, get the win over Roman and Solo because it sets up the, the Universal title match perfectly. Well, are they going to go with the full-on title change? I don't think so. I think Roman needs to hold it all the way till Mania. And if they're going to end the bloodline in significant fashion, I think he needs to put the radio source for good. You know, like, do what he said he was going to do, or do what Paul Heyman said he was going to do. It was going to be not PG, it was going to be brutal. He's going to wipe them out of WWE altogether. I think it has to, that has to happen with SummerSlam. See, I disagree because, like, you want this end, the story to end, it needs to end with Roman getting put in his place by the, by his brothers, you know, by his cousins getting put in his place by them, you know, get his comeuppance in the end. Because if the Usos, you know, go with their all this to leave Roman behind and end up losing in the end, it, it just it makes you wonder where the fuck do they go from here? Because there's so many ways you can do it because you've got to think where solo factors into all of this. Like where was Solo? Because Solo chose to stand beside Roman, and Roman's the one that lost. Because yes, yeah, Solo got pinned at Clash of Champions, but he got all sorts of fucking super kicks by the Usos beforehand. Then got Sammy and Keo's finisher. You know he stepped up when the Usos got pinned, almost got pinned at Clash at Backlash. He stepped up, did his part when Roman got pinned, and that's gonna be what the Usos say to him. Like, come on, you chose to follow this guy. He's the one who lost that match for you. Mind the bank. Hell, it could even be solo cost Roman. Yeah, I was going to say maybe they could be teasing a solo turn as well. Where it just takes him a bit longer to bring him under the side of the Usos again. I think in a way, he he needs to be done in such a way that it makes solo like a solid single star. And I'm wondering if if Roman does get the win over Jerry, if if that's the way they're going. Wondering if it's going to be a repeat of what happened at Royal Rumble this year. You know, the Usos are on the verge of you know getting wiped out. Solos just watching this happen, and then something clicked, and he's like, "Nah, nah, Usos, they're my brothers." You know, you've proven yourself enough's enough. Roman doesn't stop, and then Solo spikes about nowhere. Kind of like what Sammy did with the the Kevin Owens scenario at the end, and look how much, like, how much how big of a reaction that got as well. I mean, who's to say we can't do something similar with Solo? You had that moment on SmackDown where Uso said, like, you know, we don't follow you, you know, but we would follow Solo as the tribal chief. And Roman laughs at the idea of then Solo kind of just stares at him and Roman, Roman just stops at his place where they realize mm-hmm. that Solo would actually consider it. And, you know, a, a feud between Roman and Solo is definitely what they're building to. I don't know how, whether or not it needs the title to have that kind of feud. Because you've got the perfect uh, motivation for Solo in terms of he can have that promo where he says to Rowan, like, think about it, Clash at the Castle, WrestleMania 39. 
how many times would you have lost that belt if it wasn't for me? You know, how would you have mm-hmm. got a thousand days if it wasn't for me? Well, like, if that makes sense, you know, I think they'll have to learn more once they've done the, um, the tribal court because I think there's going to be more to it. Yeah. So, looking ahead, though, even further to SummerSlam, look at the matches that it seemed like we could get from here. Jay, Roman, Gunther, Drew, Becky, Trish, to the triple threat for Asuka's like, women's title. Mm. You know, I don't even know anything uh, else. Cody versus Brock 3, which rumours are might be a Texas bull rope match. Hot <laughs> tabs. Hot tabs. Which apparently, uh, supposedly, the initial idea was a dog colour match, but Brock has said, nope, I'm not doing that. Right. Right, we're not looking like, we're not going to look like village slaves on the biggest show of the year or second biggest of the year you got to imagine Cody had an input for the dog collar because you know calling back to his infamous match with uh, with Brody Lee back at AEW yeah AEW wanting to do dog collar matches <laughs> I mean it's almost like they've they're into like or maybe some of the performers went to that sort of thing but I digress I mean, if, you know, if you want to bring back the dog collar match to Derry, it's got to be Rhea Ripley involved in there somehow, but that's... A, that's uh, she has it around <laughs> Dom Dom's neck. Typical Saturday for her. We go to <laughs> from Money in the Bank, uh, where just out of nowhere, you know, nothing's happening, and adverts just played, and John Cena's music kits. Oh. I mean, we got the reaction it fucking did because, like, no rumours, no teases, announcements, nothing about John even being in the vicinity of the O2 or even be a possibility of showing up at Money of the Bank. But out he comes. People aren't even chatting John Cena. They're singing My Time Is Now. And I thought I said in the chat, and I said to us as we were watching it, oh, that's not good. I wonder if he's here to apologise for how shit that Mania match with Theory was. <laughs> he, does, he does a hell of a lot better this time. Yeah, I mean, Grayson Waller did interrupt him. I'm thinking if you want to do that feud better, do it with do it with bloody Grayson Waller because Grayson Waller does the old selfie gimmick that Theory used to do a hell of a lot more convincingly than Austin Theory ever did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Grayson's obviously he's dynamite on the mic, and we've said you know he's going to be a, a commodity for SmackDown, but Theory's definitely just been sort of lost in the shuffle a little bit. Especially with a pretty lackluster match with Ridge Holland the night before. I mean, he's held that belt since November, by the way. He's one of the longest reigns right now. Mm-hmm. And obviously, nowhere near Rome, but he's got one of the longest reigns currently in the company. And yet, it's one of the most unremarkable things happening in WWE right now. Half the time, I mm-hmm. forget he's the champion, if I'm honest. I'm starting to miss his selfie gimmick. No. Well, let's not go that far, but I liked Rachel Waller being able to the fact he looked healthy enough to take a bump because word was from his own mouth that he, he injured his leg during the match, during his final XT match with Carmelo Hayes, which is why he's just been he's not really been getting physical during his Rachel Waller segment because he physically couldn't because of his injury. Nah. So if he's get, taken an AA off Cena, then he's clearly cleared enough to, to do something. So here's the scene, Rachel ring very soon but Cena was here to really just rile up the UK crowd and then said the thing that's getting everyone a buzz saying he believes that Wrestlemania should come to London yeah. 
this could happen. Or, like, as soon as he said that, I was out my seat, flapping like a maniac. I don't know what it was, but I think it's just the prospect of, you know, people want WrestleMania to come to London. You know, it's been... It's been a, a rumor that's been going around social media for some years now, and every year we say, like, let's have it in London, let's have it in London. And to hear it from, you know, John Cena's mouth of all people, it's, it just made that little bit almost a reality when, he, when hearing that. When he's, it was the closest thing he could have said that, aside from, Oh, WrestleMania 41 is going to be held at Wembley Stadium. But it did raise another question for me because that made me think they've been paying attention to what AEW's been doing with all in at Wembley this year. And I'm wondering, maybe they've used AEW as a, a sort of unofficial litmus test to see what the demand for an, a stadium show in London would be like, especially when the size of Wembley Stadium. And with ECW selling like what seventy thousand tickets already, with no matches announced, the demand is going to be there not just from the British crowd, but from other nearby European countries who would, you know, go on like a two or three hour flight or something to one of the biggest, you know, tourist hubs in the world to see WrestleMania. It's better. I mean, it's certainly a lot cheaper than flying across the Atlantic, you know, all you have to do is just fly to England from a European country and then you can have so much more representation. So I think there definitely is potential for Mania at Wembley. But I think we've took some ideas off of AEW to see if there was demand for it. I honestly don't care if they did, if I'm honest, because you see when WWE books something or AEW books something, like, oh, I'm only doing that because the other company is doing this. Like, mm-hmm. good. He's like, are you going to benefit from it as a fan? Yeah. Well, who cares why you did it? It's fans, yeah. Everyone said when AEW was done, like, oh, this will put the thing up to E. So the so two companies will be competing for each other and us, the fans, will win. So shut, stop complaining pointing out that they're doing it because another company is doing it and start mm-hmm. enjoying Start winning as a fan. Because yeah. I think that Wembley is up there in terms of where they're going to do it because they didn't say it's coming to the WrestleMania coming to the UK they said coming to London yeah so, specifically London because if they wanted to do it in the UK they could easily if they wanted to go back to Wales go back to Principality if they wanted to because mm-hmm. you saw you've been in that venue you know, that's a that's your, surely a big enough venue and like, it was, even outside of Wembley there are so many football stadiums and places arenas they could use uh-huh. for that so it's just that it's just that it's just that clash at the castle. They didn't have like a grand entrance. It was more just like a, a sort of like a little tunnel for them to come out of, where the main attraction was the, the castle-shaped Titantron of the ring, and every seat behind the hard cam area was all taped off. I don't know if it was just to if it was just production logistics or whatnot, but you still got sixty-two thousand people in that stadium. But I reckon we've only heard a, a show in Wembley before, back in like you know SummerSlam '92, being the best example. And you know who's to say they can't you know put up, put up like a big epic stage with a massive Titantron, and they'll have the seats above and behind it, and you could still uh, have higher attendance than than Principality. So Wembley is is probably the ideal setting for for Mania because they've already done it at SummerSlam. 
Yeah, I mean, you got to think Wembley said is up there because of the connection to SummerSlam '92. I mean, they were going on about SummerSlam '92 and Wembley, like all in the lead up to Classic Castle, even though they were nowhere near fucking near the venue. <laughs> so, you got to think that's the, from what I'm hearing. They will say WrestleMania 40, which is next year, is going to happen in Philadelphia, and then yeah, ages ago. So they, but supposedly they've already got a whole city in mind that they've yet to announce for Mania 45. Which would be in twenty twenty five, but they are already taking forty five. Forty five would be twenty twenty eight. Sorry, twenty nine. Oh yeah, no twenty. Uh, May of forty in twenty twenty five. May of forty one. I'm talking about, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard. Um, I think it was like the the Minnesota Vikings arena in Minneapolis for May of forty one. It's potentially me, like, so me for when supposedly has got its own one that'll be in 2025, but the mm-hmm. WrestleMania 2 in 2026 is still open for venues. So, this is the time where Wembley mm-hmm. or wherever Camille Decisions can get in there and say, okay, oh, yeah. so because apparently Clash of Castle could have been in England, but basically it was a case of the people in Wales, like, whoever is the main board behind. You know, putting vents in principality paid them more money. That's why they went to Wales. It was all money. So nah. this is the time the people behind Wembley who already I'm soon are benefiting from the buzz around AEW coming and surely they themselves yeah. will financially from AEW coming. So at WWE it's after that is we can buy, we can beg you an even bigger show, the biggest show in wrestling. <laughs> you yeah. They're gonna basically give them a fucking blank check to give to bring that over here. Uh, you know what I think if if the Saudis don't you know top it with the, their blank check, it certainly is a possibility. But it does make me wonder when the Scottish government's gonna gonna cough up, you know, to bring Clash the next Clash at the Castle to Murrayfield in Edinburgh. Uh, who, who knows? I mean, you can do all sorts of shows in the UK just called Clash at the Castle because we got fucking. Right. Scotland's, famous. Scotland's got famous for its castles, practically. You know, Edinburgh Castle probably being the most recognisable, hence why it should be at Murrayfield. Well, we'll cross that bridge we got into, but there's a possibility 24... 2026. Yeah, 2026. <laughs> WrestleMania 42, potentially in London, so if you want to go, start saving now, because, I mean, Dave, not to give too much details away about our trip down to London for All In, but while it's the most I've probably paid for a trip to a wrestling show ever... It's still looking at it in hindsight. It's probably still like less expensive than it could have been. Whereas when I said oh, that, yeah. that words to Ross when the possibility was floated by Cena, like I would pay literally every penny I have to, Just to go, go to WrestleMania. I don't care if I couldn't buy anything merch-wise when I was there or anything like that, and had to eat, pay the bare minimum food-wise while I was there. Just being just never said pot noodles that week because. <laughs> Money is a big factor which stops some people in the UK, especially from going overseas to WrestleMania. So the possibility of you know those fans who they talk about who travel over and they're the ones that they claim are responsible for all the great chance the night after, but that you're doing it and basically in their backyard, you know, a home game for those fans, if you will. A respectable Titan spell if you can't get tickets to go to the stadium show. I know. Mind you, if it's a respectable time for us, Jesus, I hope they don't do another fucking Saturday or Sunday morning rest, uh, 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 
<laughs> oh, because that's another that's thing. Guys, they do the NXT takeover in the um, the O2 Arena. Yeah, that, I, I assume the O2 will be used Wem- for. No, sorry, O2 Arena, um, maybe Wembley Arena. Maybe, or you know, like in Red Pro Weekend of All Out, All In is doing the Copper Bot, which is like seven thousand or so, something a decently mm-hmm. sized venue for an NXT show. Maybe not for Raw SmackDown, Raw SmackDown, like you said, Wembley Arena. But like the Cobrox is a venue like for an indie show or for a NXT could be a good one. Because it's not just WrestleMania that would come over, that would mean all the shows that go in and around Mania weekend would come mm. to the UK. And you gotta hope that if they come over here, we go back to the two night format as well. We we stick with that format. Well, I think they have to stick with the two night format if that's been the case since Mania thirty six, etc. So but just imagine how much tourism and other extra bits and bobs you know the city could generate in terms of tourism merch etc like hotels industries they'll make a fortune from it and you'll have special guests coming over you know the hall of famers the legends will be there you'll have wrestlemania access no doubt you'll have the official merch store it's it's not just about you know going to see one show over the space of two nights it's a it's a week-long event and experience you know fans just get the best of the best you know meet do meet and greets get autographs get the merch etc it's it's not like you know just um getting a ticket for to see to see i don't know a stand-up comedy gig at the hydro or something you know this is this is really getting into the nitty-gritty of it's like a a week-long anime convention for a lot of people just to, to put in comparison but and if it's in a central tourist hub like London is, you know, it's easily accessible from all corners of the world. I mean, this could potentially be a massive, massive revenue generator, not just from a business perspective, but for, you know, England's tourism as a whole. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, they've already, they finally adopted Bulldog a few years ago. you got to think, who, they, who UK themed are they going to get for the fucking Hall of Fame headliner? And automatically, as soon as I was saying that, I'm thinking, Regal. If you're coming over oh, for yeah. in the UK, headline that Hall of Fame with William Regal, you cowards. Mm-hmm. Let uh, Georgia Smith might make uh, an appearance again. She was there at the, the merch store for Clash at the Castle. Yeah. Anyway, that, well, let's stop fans lying about something. <laughs> I, just, I just fell flat, didn't it? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. But still fanboying but something that may or may not happen, even though Triple H's first question he was asked during that press conference was, Well, WrestleMania in London, what's the what's the chances? And he just laughed and oh I thank John's here for putting me in an unenviable position. <laughs> uh so yeah, I think he's just basically realized, right, oh god, I'll, the fans are gonna hound me for this, hound me for years on this. I mean, Triple H understands the UK crowd. I mean, he brought NXT to London in 2015. He yeah. was the main driving force behind NXT UK. You know, Triple H takes he over. Clash at the Castle to Wales. From the time with Clash at the Castle and everything. So he clearly understands. And we are loving the fact that they get to go to more countries. They've got to go to Canada. They're doing more stuff in Saturday and everything. So um, yeah. I'm so, deal for about five years as well. Yeah, you got to think. Oh, you got to wonder: Will they add time on? Given that there was like a year and a bit where they couldn't go over because of the pandemic, mm. you know, they want to get their money's worth out of that one. So, the Saudis have a lot of money. 
they they do and they do. But we you I hope that they would do more shows abroad and like the fact that they're not seemingly not afraid to not just like make up shows like Classic Castle, like when they used to make do Insurrection and Rebellion back in the day. They're they're wanting to bring major like shows that already have name value like Elimination Chamber of Canada, Mind of the Bank in the UK, potentially WrestleMania. And you know, because like the only other time they've done inter- done vaguely international for WrestleMania is Canada. So actually them getting, getting them to travel somewhere for their field for their biggest show of the year would be very interesting. Um, like you said, they've never done a WrestleMania outside of North America. Only twice has it been in Canada, both in the Sky Dome. But can you imagine how groundbreaking it would be you know, having WrestleMania outside of continental North America and and you got to be a part of that? Mm. I mean, the hard to bear stick that way. And I reckon, I think much like you said, there will be people who will be spending their life savings just to attend that show. Oh, yeah. I mean... I mean, the day the day tickets go on sale, even the pre-sale is going to be a fucking nightmare. Oh, I, I reckon people will will bring knives to a, a ticket scrap. <laughs> like but, it's a, a full on media, well, a full on media scrum, but it's a, a ticket master tussle, shall we say? But you know, I mentioned Canada before. You know, they done two WrestleManias. It does take me nicely on the Forbidden Door. We'll have a quick discussion about that because it did happen the other week. But we'll briefly talk about it because it uh, came we, spent in- like we spent an hour on just Money in the Bank and London Media. I mean, it bears talking about. But the, the stuff about Forbidden Door is that it, again, it's one of the highest broke another record for highest gate that AEW's had so far. You got to think Wembley will take a big hit to that one as well. You know, mm. given the people who will be going and everything but also it is the third highest like grossing wrestling event in Canada like ever behind the aforementioned two WrestleManias that WWE have done so mm. basically another financial success for, for Tory Khan's company and a fairly well received especially the the two key matches the Omega Osprey and Okada Danielson match uh, amongst the show so Look, I say, as somebody who maybe doesn't watch all of New Japan, but you are familiar with AEW, Dave, what was your overall thoughts on this Forbidden Door compared to last year's Forbidden Door? Uh, it's difficult to say, really, because when I think about Forbidden Door, I just think of rematches between AEW talent and New Japan talent. I don't really think too much about the storylines involved, because if I'm being brutally honest, I don't think AEW's put a coherent long-term storyline together since the since probably like the inner circle and where they went i think i think he's just sort of tony Khan's just sort of played it by year and just putting on matches that i think people want to see regardless of you know what's the story behind it but the what the match that absolutely took me by like completely I can't even get my words out. Like it just left me mind blown. Was the Osprey Omega match? I mean, look at it Wikipedia. It went on for almost forty minutes, and heard people were describing it as like the greatest match they've ever seen. Six stars rated from Meltzer. Osprey kicks out of the one winged angel at one, which correct me if I'm wrong on this. Has that ever happened before? What? Sorry, what was it? Was whatever happened before, sir? 
Has anybody kicked out of the one-winged angel at a one count? Not at a one count, no, but like the only other two people who probably kick out of it, and they made a whole storyline about it, is Abushi one time in Japan and Hangman Page and that match that they did. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, the fact that, yeah, like Omega got his own move done to him. Um, a tribute to, I think it was Masao Kawada from All Japan when they did the Tiger Driver 91, which basically was Omega getting dropped right on his fucking head. Uh, increased like violence between the two as these matches go because like Kenny brutalized like Osprey in their first match like he got one of those thin wooden Japanese tables and just started slapping Osprey's head into it until a hole was started getting made and uh, and now this nah. is Os- Osprey like repaying the favor and coming for his pound of flesh as it were. Oh, it's uh. Yeah, I was. I can't believe this didn't move event in hindsight, because yeah. what a way to have ended the night. You know, a title changes hands. Forty minute main event. You know, if they switched this with Brian um, and Okada, I think it would have been a serious contender for match, like show of the year, no questions asked. But I think the Danielson Okada match suffered because of how good Osprey Omega was. Because, uh, you know, everybody, that's all everybody was talking about. It was like Ratt- Triple H and Randy Orton suffering at WrestleMania 25 because the Undertaker-Shawn Michaels match was just that damn good. And it just drained everybody. That's what this reminds me of a little bit. you got to talk about this, the six-star arena, officially making it the highest-rated match in AEW like, history, or highest-rated singles match, because I'm pretty sure six-stars went to the Young Bucks Hangman versus yeah, Omega and Hangman. Back at Revolution, so only two six-star matches in either history, which is still nothing to be sniffed at. But yeah, given mm. this is the you know, this is the first uh, match that like singles match that's got that rating. Of course, it had Kenny Omega and Will Osprey involved. Yeah, you imagine if they held that in the Tokyo game as well. I think Moxie would have just about ripped his cock off. I mean, they did hold them to Tokyo Dome the first time they had it, and that was like at least five stars, if not five and a half, I think. And then oh, no. this one. Now there's all sorts of speculation about where the rubber match is going to take place. Some people say it'll happen in Wembley. Some people say it'll happen at Wrestle Kingdom next year, which I wouldn't be mm-hmm. again. But just for sheer selfishness as a fan of New Japan, I know maybe to the casual who going to Wembley, it may not hit its home much. Self- yeah, but for me, from its own selfishness, I'd like to see it in Wembley. Because, you know, you got a case of, like, both of them have a connection to Japan. So they had the first match in Japan. Kenny's from Canada. They go to Canada for the second one. And they go to Will's home country for the third one. It just makes sense to me. That makes a lot of sense. And given how heavily praised this match was, I'm, I want to see it in person then. Let's see them go at it again. Oh, yeah. And you gotta think, you know, depending on what they want to have closed the show, if they have it, what plans to wake kind of has. This if they're gonna do it in Wembley, you gotta again consider it potentially being the main event after like you said, a lot of people maybe thought it should have main evented here, but the main mm-hmm. event itself, one of the most shocking things about the main event, other than Brian's injury, which he battled through, was that Tony Khan got his hand in that wallet and paid for one night only to have the final countdown. The deal did the deal does say they use it in perpetuity, which means that Later, like on demand, like versions of the show can use the you know, kind of it doesn't have to be dubbed over like certain songs in the WWE network. 
so they can use it in perpetuity. And Toya Khan didn't say exactly how much he paid, but basically said for the money he spent on this, he could have hired, he could have signed a new wrestler. Did he say he signed a new wrestler? Or did he say like sign a new wrestler for a 12-month contract or a six-month contract? Well, I didn't, he didn't say he could, have, he could have signed somebody for a new... Like for the money, but I don't imagine it'd be like a big event person, but like at least an upper mid card, or you could sign. So yeah, we're talking about at least tens of thousands. Yeah, I of mean, dollars. I think like the reason Europe don't do as much new basically, I think they license a couple of their albums, including the one that features this song, to another company for it, so it can be used in like other places, like other media, and they also they get. Mm-hmm. Fair share, fair share of like royalty money from that, which so like they don't need to produce new music or tour that often. Like we've got mm. as much money as we'll ever need. So, so you guys think yeah. it's going to be at least twice, mm-hmm. going to be at least a fair share more expensive than whatever it is they're paying Kansas for Cash on My Way with some. Just, just think, there's millions of people out there struggling to scuffle pennies together or spare change behind their sofa just to put a down payment on a house. Yet, Tony Khan's out there spending tens of thousands just so he could have very popular and very famous song played once for a wrestler's entrance theme for a couple of minutes at most. Oh, it just goes to show how much... Uh, how much money that guy's got in his back pocket. I mean, it's true. But at the same time, I did shout, I did scream out, it's the final countdown at that moment where he goes to the corner because I am yeah. a Yeah, well, I was, I was singing along to Kingdom during Cody's entrance at Money in the Bank as well. Although I, I had to admit my voice did crack when I did the, the wall moment. I mean, I will, I'll, I'll have it. It's me and Ross sat in his living room watching... Uh, Impact Plus uh, special, and when Joe Andrew comes out, we do the clap along in his entrance team. Andrew's doing great in TNA at the minute. Yes, uh, but uh, the thing about Daniel Bryan here is he, he managed to get the win over Okada via submission, the first time that Okada's lost via submission since losing a match in the G1 Climax to, in 2015 to Shinsuke Nakamura. So, yes, I remember that was mentioned in, on commentary. Like, he's lost to two like two guys that have been signed with WWE by submission. So, okay, so Daniel Bryan, so Danielson does get injured. I think uh, Okada goes for an elbow drop off the top. Bryan's arm was not in the right place. So Okada lands on it. And you might have seen the x ray going around. Like mm-hmm. one of the bones in his arm, that is a clean fucking break. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, he so it was, a, it, was a, it was a forearm fracture, I think it was. So he, but he still had the strength in his arms to use the label lock to get the win. Mm. Um, he did tr- say in the press conference that it would be six to eight weeks, but according to Bree, it's a lot worse than I previously thought. So uh, mm. maybe don't hold your gonna... breath seeing Brian at, at all in. Oh, yeah. He's going to miss Wembley, isn't he? You got to think, because... Since the match, I think he got some injuries after the Ironman match, and so that's why the only match he's really had since between that and Forbidden Door was the Anarchy in the Arena, and that was a multi-man mm. match. I think he was trying to make sure he was as healthy as possible for this dream match of his uh, with Okada, and yet somehow managed to walk away even more for where. 
Because uh, the minute Blackpool came the club, they now got three active members with Moxley, Utah, and Claudio. And they teamed with uh, Shota Amino and Konosuke Takeshita yep. against the Elite. Yep. Uh, I'll be honest with you, you know, not to go too much in depth, but one of my favorite matches of the night is actually the 10 man tag. Just yeah. chaotic it was. It's the, it's the one that seemed to most further an AEW centric story because of the stuff between BCC and the Elite. And the stuff that's come out of it on Dynamite between Moxley and Kingston. Yeah, like um, Kingston was arguing with who was he arguing with? Was it Hangman? I think so, because like there's a point where like he saves Moxley from a double super kick at one point. I mean, Moxley maybe like pals as well. So why were they going up against each other? I don't know. He just well, because Claudio's also on the other side, and he doesn't like Claudio. So oh, that's true. Yeah. There you go. Looking, he also had Takesta nearly with one punch, nearly knocking Ishii right the fuck out at one point. <laughs> uh, I think I saw that spot as well. Did he not like roll right out of the ring from it? Yeah, he, he he took a powder for a little while, then came back in later on. Aye, do you think we'll see any of these New Japan guys uh, all in? I mean, they, they're bringing some New Japan talent over for the Red Pro show the night before because they've only announced one match for that show. Uh, which mm-hmm. is Ray versus Shingo Takagi. So, and that's a match they've done before in like big tournament finals. They've done that over the IWGP heavyweight title. So, it's a big match mm-hmm. for Red Pro. And, you know, the current Red Pro champion is a New Japan guy, the Great Okan. So, there may be crossover. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, actually. If you had to have one person from New Japan Pro Wrestling to compete, all in at Wembley. Like anybody from the roster that you would most want to see compete at the at the pay per view, who would be and who from AEW should they go up against? Oh, now you're asking. Because like I really again, like I said, would like to see that Osprey Omega match. But I'm between two, and they're not even Japanese. I'm between Osprey or Zack Saber Jr. Because mm-hmm. something. Because I wanted them, I wanted ZSJ to win uh, in that four way and carry that international belt into Wembley. But if I got to see Zach Saber Jr. Orange Cassidy just one on one in Wembley, that would be a hell of a showing. Because there's so many people I like to see just in AEW generally. But ZSJ is also British as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So I'm saying like so it's a toss up between the two British guys, weirdly, because of uh-huh. the occasion. Getting to see a, a rematch with Omega, or getting to do getting to see ZSJ. I've never seen either of them live, so. It's, 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 it's matches. Orange Cassidy defends the international title against ZSJ, and we get an Omega Osprey rematch. I really think like the ZSJ one maybe the most likely because you know, the G one will have ended like a week and a half at least before. All in, so they will have some guys available to come over if they if they want them to. Mm-hmm. Remember, they've got blood and guts to do before they come over from Wembley as well, and I imagine it's going to be a rematch of the Elite and Blackpool Combat Club. Yeah, which is why I was so confident when I predicted uh, the Elite team to win because that would be one on one. Give them see one at Anarchy in the arena, then the big blow off uh, inside Blood and Guts. And thankfully, out of the, unlike the last two, this one will actually end the feud that it's involved. Mm-hmm. And not 
the last two. I'm actually, kind of gl- I'm actually kind of glad that Blood and Guts isn't coming to Wembley because I think it would have just been such a difficult match to watch from an arena perspective. Oh yeah, as a or a state or a stadium perspective, I should say. Yeah, plus the time you set up, set the cage up as well, and also the fact that you'd, you'd lose a couple of hundred maybe tickets around the ringside because you got to set up two rings for the whole show. Oh, of course you do, yeah. It's essentially just a, a war games match with uh, yeah. a roof on the cage. Which, yeah, but like the funny thing about that, well, war games, the original WCW war games had a cage. It's only WWE that's removed the cage. Removed yeah. the cage roof. Yeah, WWE removed the cage roof. Like WCW used to have a cage, but thankfully, unlike WCW, AEW made it much higher because there's a very scary one from back in the day where. Uh, Sid Vicious tries to powerbomb like Brian Pillman and Brian's like feet get caught in the, the cage and he like gets dropped on his neck. So no. uh, it's probably like watching the uh, 25 years of the Undertaker Mankind Hell in a Cell match and they're commentating on it. Like just hearing it from their perspective, it, I think it just goes to show how scary it actually was from all angles, like, the roof was held together with cable ties, and as soon as they stood on one bit, like, each of them broke, and they thought one, maybe a couple of choke slams would get them through it, but no, first one, Biff falls through it, and <laughs> how the ring didn't cave in as well is baffling. But, um, I'm rambling here now. Yeah. So, so yeah, if you want to hear more in-depth talk about uh, Forbidden Door, uh, you're hearing this will be out on Wednesday. This episode schedule also heat today, when it being Wednesday. Uh, me and Grant are getting together to record East Meets West. Where we'll talk a bit more about from indoor from our perspective of the new Japan talent featured. Uh, we will talk about some shows that happened over the weekend in Japan itself and a big preview of the upcoming G1 tournament, including some feedback from members of the ESSR team uh, giving their insight, including new Japan expert David Campbell. But uh, but Dave, we do have one or two other things I want to talk about before we go. Another thing in AEW is quite notable is after literally years of talking about it, AEW Fight Forever is finally here. And oh gosh, yeah. It's a lot more simplistic game for like old school fans, basically because they even got THQ and Nukes involved and, and putting it together. You can play like Stadium Stampede, you can play apparently the Exploding Barbed Wire Deathmatch. Uh, which apparently the, with, a, with a better explosion rather than a sparkler finish. Well, actually, well, actually, apparently, there's, I haven't played it myself, but apparently, you've got two options where you play. It. You can either have the actual finish that you should have, or you can take the Revolution Twenty Twenty One option if yeah. you're feeling fun. Let's take a look back and laugh on it a little bit. Yeah, if I'm being honest, I've seen. I've seen, a YouTube, I've seen a few YouTube channels play the game so far. Like I watch Dorian Perkins specifically, who are like Leeds-based YouTubers, and they play through all the WWE 2K games with their own storylines, etc. But they've had a go at playing all like, like the Fight Forever. And if I'm being honest, I think graphics-wise, it it looks like that WWE All Stars spin-off game where it was just like. The characters were made to look really silly in some aspect, not quite what they're like in real life. Uh, but at least the moves are sort of carried out as as they should be, albeit without a couple of glitches here and there. So it's not it's not it's not perfect. Decent enough, but I wouldn't spend money on it. 
looks like it needs to be a like starting point for them, and I think they are going back to the old way of like not basically when you when video games don't really care about people looking too much like their character, but and after like oh, it's a video game, who really cares how accurate they look? But then there are just once or twice where I see something like, what the fuck is that? Like I saw like oh. Taking the piss out of the way Owen Hart's rendered, like why have they made Owen look more like Bruce? Mm. Uh, also, there's a mode in here there where you can basically have people win multiple titles, and you've seen people like basically posting screenshots of giving random wrestlers all the belts, including the FTW belt, which you can you can fight for in this game. Oh man! I suppose like did, did they have uh, did the two gay games include the twenty four seven championship as well? I think they did. I mean, they used to include like the million dollar belt back in the day. So yeah, that's true. Actually, I think it's still 2K22 has like the light heavyweight and European titles, so. Oh, yeah, all the classic belts. Yeah. I still have like some of the older versions of current championships, like the original, like the undisputed WWE championship, the one that held by Eddie Guerrero, for example, and JBL. So like they go also it's a, apparently the story mode is called uh, Road to the Elite, which apparently doesn't mm. actually be complete as you might think it would. Yeah, I mean, Road to the Elite, you know, it's it's almost as if you're trying to join the Elite by the end of the the storyline. Like, I, I get they're trying to do like a twist on Road to WrestleMania and stuff, but it just doesn't have the same ring to it if it's. Because it sounds like you're joining the elite at the end of the game. Why can't you, why can't you just be called like Road to Forbidden Door or something? I mean, I think, it, I think it's meant to be. I don't know. I think it's. I think it is meant to be a case of like leaning into like getting to EW, like get the my rise takes you to like the performance center and, and things like that, and they've been developing that over the the last few mm-hmm. years. I'm sure I'll play it at some point. I'm not going to rush out to play because I don't. I'm not as much of a gamer as I used to be. So, but I'm nah, sure. I'm saving my I'm saving my money for Spider-Man Two when it comes out. Oh yeah, I can't wait for that one either. <laughs> I don't think I have much else to talk about. Uh, EW Collision has been. I finally watched Collision for the first time. I watched. Uh, been watching little bits of it. Here and there, but then after mining the bank, me Ross found a like of me, and I've just watched the recent episode of uh, Collision, which had like MJF, Ethan Page for the title. You had the the other three first round matches in the men's Owen Hart tournament, and you know, it's the first episode of Collision I've seen all the way through. And the first bit of AWTV I've seen all the way through in a little while, and you know what? I'm actually, I'm really liking the feel and look of like Collision. You know, I like the weird like pre like show promos like they had like last week before that eight man tag. And then being offset by that old eighty style talking promo, offset by Elton John doing the intro song. <laughs> yeah, I mean Elton John playing Collision. I mean, there with the biggest crowd ever at Glastonbury, and then somebody's phoned and said, "Hey, listen, can you do the uh, the music for this this American wrestling show when we totally can <laughs> and stuff?" And and more than me, probably just said, "Where do I sign up?" I mean, it's, it's weird. You think him, like, he'd cost a lot. Kansas would cost a lot. Like, cult of personality for CM Punk would cost a lot. But they get to use these songs multiple times. So, again, further puts in respect of how much they probably spent, given the fact that they played, they got the rights to the Europe song and are only going to be able to play it once. Like, mm. 
I like, I like the feel of uh, Collision. I don't, there's not really much else to talk about right now. There's a lot of stuff is, from Mind the Bank is uh, either still to really feel the fallout or we felt it on Raw with like the return of Brock Lesnar and the brawl that led to that. And it seemingly is going to be Brock Cody 3 at SummerSlam. Where Cody goes from there, we'll uh, have to wait and see. But I'm really looking forward to SummerSlam in terms of what the matches are going to stack onto because I remember like a couple of years ago, SummerSlam 2021 was in a big stadium when the first big stadium shows after pandemic. They were saying, oh, we're going to stack this show. What, what's what's possibly coming for SummerSlam 2023 is what it feels like what 2021 should have been because I remember being quite disappointed with that SummerSlam. Whereas, you know, I know fucking Puerto Rico's a great in terms of the US, is it not? But that crowd was fucking a thousand times louder than the average weekly Raw or SmackDown crowd in the US. And so they went to Puerto Rico, they went to Saudi, who still made who made a lot of noise. They went to the UK, who made a lot of noise. So, you know, I'm hopeful. Like it's going to hopefully feel special enough to the US crew that's going to SummerSlam because obviously it's the first big pay per view you've had since WrestleMania. The whole spring, summer, early summer period, you've dairy's been going other places. So hopefully mm-hmm. they get this big crowd. Hopefully they give whatever the stacked card is like the the reaction it deserves. Oh yeah. I think when it's in Ford Field as well, which is where WrestleMania 23 was, I reckon they'll be fine in terms of, you know, getting a crowd there. And the crowd's going to be electric for the Bloodline feud. It's going to be electric for Cody Brock. And I think there's just so much to look forward to with SummerSlam. I think the WWE's storyline booking from various angles is in very safe hands with Triple H at the minute. You know, you've got the Judgment Day Dissension as well. You'll have uh, Shayna Ronda. But I think all the investment's going to be on the the Bloodline feud, I reckon. Yeah, you think something will happen definitely with that. And it'll maybe not go in run favour because the very next pay-per-view is called Payback. So, September. So, we'll see what happens there. So that'll do it for Central. The big story was, of course, mind the bikes. So we covered that in quite a bit of detail. We're hopefully back usual service was in with a lot more big news, you know, fallout from SmackDown with the Tribal Court. And we further move on to the road to SummerSlam, which is happening August 5th in Detroit. And then a few weeks later, we'll have All In in Wembley. So much stuff to really look forward to. But uh, make sure to follow Eat Sleep Super Street at Super Street, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, even TikTok. Or join our community page, Eat Sleep Supply Street Community on Facebook. And make sure to follow us, like, rating, review, and feel That's a big question this week. Oh, yeah. Well, the other guys don't seem to have another uh, for, for a big question, but I've got one. Uh, Dave, I'll ask you this one. Because I've been uploaded this a while ago, but we haven't had an episode since. Yeah, we'll post, the, we'll post the big question on the community page and then we encourage our listeners and our, the rest of our team to uh, comment on it and then we can review it next week. I mean, it's a load of questions, but if you have an answer now, then feel free. Yeah. Dave, what has been your favourite match of 2023 so far? Oh, that is a very loaded question. I think we should um, start I think we should start asking like wrestler show match of the year so far because we're at that halfway. Yeah, we are, yeah, we're up halfway through the year now. Yeah, that's true. Um, don't know why, but I'm stuck between a few. But I'm for now. I'm 
reluctantly going to go with Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair WrestleMania Night One. Like, if you didn't have the Bloodline feud going on, that could easily have main evented the show. Given that Ripley was hot with the Royal Rumble win, that match over delivered in so many ways. I think it's both women's best matches in WWE thus far. And I think they just, you know, threw everything to the wall and just delivered the best match they could. It was near fall after near fall, non-stop action, and it took a top rope finisher to finally put Charlotte down. That was... I remember watching that, and I'm thinking, this is so much better than anybody gave it credit for. So that's the reason why I think it's my preliminary match of the year. I mean, it's early choice when you go... Dave Meltzer has been criticised for his comments on women's wrestling, especially in the US. He called it potentially one of the best women's matches he's ever seen. So that tells you a bit. Well, yeah, that, I mean, WrestleMania itself, the crossbow nights, give you several candidates for this question. You know, obviously, a normal mention goes to the triple threat for the IC title. Yep. Hell of a match. There's no other options. Mm-hmm. But I, I, need, I need to watch both back to decide which one. But I'm tentatively saying Osprey versus Omega, and I need to watch both back to decide which of the two. I mean, <laughs> if I get to see it live, that automatically be number one just for seeing yeah. it live. You know, my, my WWE bias, my WWE bias has to be considered when picking my selection. Unfortunately, so but I mean, I'm, I'm sticking team. with it. In terms of favourite WWE matches, it's probably between the Triple Threat or, given recency, potentially that tag main event from Money in the Bank. Bloodlines of the Royal, yeah, that's a contender as well. It, know, won't one, surprise me if any, it won't surprise me if anybody picked those as their favourite. Because you know, one had a great storyline and the other one had guys just beating the shit out of each other. Two things I love for wrestling. Big men slapping meat. All sorts of big men slapping meat. So there you go, I gave you the social media handle. The community is where the question will be posted. So go on there and answer the question and we'll talk about it next time we have a central. Uh, make sure you like, give us a like, read and review on your tools and podcast platform, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you get your podcast. Take back in the back catalogue of Eat, Sleep, Super Play, Treat, Central episodes, a feature show, Saturday Draft, live every Saturday, East Meets West, as I said, or our titular New Japan show, where there will be so much gloating as I, after Favendor, I'm your 13-time reigning defending ESR champion, and my co-host, who is promised you will not cash in on me because he's not like David Campbell, weird two people who don't try and kill each other to stab each other in the back. Grant McRobbie, Mr. Spare Change in the Ted, and, you know, the Grant McRobbie winning a suite involving a WWE pay-per-view is not something you see very often, so East Beats West will yeah. be a real shithouse today mode. But that is still to come and so much more wrestling to come and they'll be discussed next week and going forward all here on ASR Central, but Thank you for filling in for me for this very special episode of Central. Thank you for having me. Thank you all very much for listening. Bye-bye. See you next time.